0: Welcome to Speaking Our Peace. My name is Priya Joshi. Speaking Our Peace is a podcast where individuals from around the world share their stories of nonviolent activism in their communities. Although we may be far from one another, we are all united on the long road to justice and peace through nonviolence. Today, you'll hear a conversation Annie had with Jamie Beck earlier in the summer. Jamie is one of the co-chairs of the Mahatma Gandhi Canadian Foundation for World Peace in Edmonton, Canada. She also teaches at the University of Calgary, training future teachers. In this episode, Jamie talks about her own story, how peace and nonviolence became such an important part of her teaching practice and her own philosophy. Jamie and Annie also talk about what teachers and educators can do during this challenging time, dealing with the pandemic.
1: So, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> how did you meet? Right All right. Now? <laughs> Um, I
2: met Rava through the Gandhi Foundation. So, um, currently, Reva and I co chair the Mahatma Gandhi Canadian Foundation for World Peace, which is an Edmonton based uh, national nonprofit that's been around for uh, more than 30 years now. So, um, pretty well established in the Edmonton area. Um, yeah, I started, I started my career uh, as an English teacher originally. And uh, currently I work at the University of Calgary as an instructor. So I instruct in the Faculty of Education. I instruct undergraduate students who are on their way to becoming teachers and also uh, master's students. So most often teachers or other education practitioners who are coming back uh, to further their education. Um, Yeah, I'm also a narrative and art space researcher and I live
1: in Calgary, Alberta. How did you get into the Gandhi Foundation? Did you know about it ahead of time? Were you involved with it um, before? Um, like, how, how did you get into, into the organization?
2: Um, so, yeah, I might, I might start a little earlier, I guess. Um, so in my, in my Bachelor of Education program or my Teacher Education program, I uh, became involved uh, with an organization called Student Teachers Practicing Peace, which I, I'm pretty sure only lasted for the year that we were there. But uh, while we were student teachers, uh, the World Peace Forum came to Vancouver, and a friend of mine, uh, Kim Mer- Meredith, who now works at Pearson College of the Pacific, um, said, "Hey, let's let's try to get other student teachers involved, and let's try to get our students involved too on our practicum." So um, that we be- we became. Uh, involved in a number of different projects. We got our students involved in a number of different projects. Uh, That was also not long after the Peace Day movement had started. So uh, we submitted a a lot of our projects to that. And and one of them was this Peace Leaves project, which was we sent um, leaves, we facilitated leaves. (laughs) There are these beautiful maple leaves that the students did art on or they wrote messages on and we facilitated an exchange of those uh, globally. And the students also got involved in a number of different creative projects. And I remember just thinking, you know, getting involved in peace ignites so much passion and so much creativity. And just the process of doing those actions um, creates harmony just in and of itself. Um, and people feel really fulfilled. So that was really inspiring. So as I proceeded throughout my career, I continued to be vol- involved in, in peace and, and nonviolent actions. Um, and eventually I became a PhD student at the University of Alberta. And uh, my advisor said, hey, you, you seem interested in peace and nonviolence. Do you know there's an organization called the Gandhi Foundation? And they're looking for an education coordinator. So during my PhD, I became the education coordinator for the foundation and have been involved in a number of different ways ever since.
1: Oh, So what was the job as the education coordinator for the Gandhi Foundation? Uh, so
2: the education coordinator uh, acted as the main support person for the foundation. So I did a lot of organizational stuff and also helped to facilitate the key events for the foundation. So the foundation, uh, one, of its, uh, one of its key vision items is related to education. So um, at the time uh, we hosted panel discussions and lectures and also things like a youth conference uh, to get youth involved in workshops related to peace and nonviolence. So the education coordinator helped to facilitate uh, those events.
1: When you were being trained as a teacher, was peace Mm -hmm. part of any of your training? Like, did you, you know, did you envision that, you know, talking about peace would be part of your practice, like from right from the beginning?
2: I think that uh, many teachers who are drawn to the humanities subjects um, have, you know, are drawn to those subjects because they are willing to engage in issues with students. So I think that being an English teacher, I did imagine that, you know, like through novel studies or through creative writing or through teaching that there would be lots of opportunity to engage youth in critical thinking and in thinking about the world and about the kind of world that they want to create. Um, I definitely didn't expect to, on my practicum, be involved in a World Peace Forum and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, was really, I found it really awesome and was really willing to jump in. And then, yeah, like I carried that thread through my teaching. um, And it it was great.
1: It was always really energizing. How do you compare doing peace education in the school system, presumably K to 12, versus, Mm -hmm. you know, doing peace, I guess a little bit more peace activism in the community? I mean, it's still education, but how do you compare the two kind of different environments?
2: I think that uh, when I was doing the peace stuff with youth there was it's just it's it's so easy to tap into their creativity and uh, they were doing lots of of really unique things whereas I find working in the community um, yeah people are a little bit more it's a little bit more thoughtful I guess. Because um, people tend to engage in dialogue and really to think more deeply about you know how to engage in the issues long term
1: so what is it like now teaching in a university in a higher education you know institution like now because you 're moving from the k to twelve to community mm-hmm. to i mean like it or not it's it's it 's an institution
2: <laughs> it 's a bureaucracy <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, well, so it's the K through 12 system. I think that teachers are always in that really interesting position of, yeah, working within a bureaucracy or an institution, like you say, but also, you know, feeling passionate about change. And I think the university setting, um, you know, there's always that balance because as researchers, we're always, we're always learning the newest knowledge, (laughs) essentially, or creating the newest knowledge. Right. And so then our challenge is how do we bring that into our everyday practice, even though we're in a bureaucracy. So I think that uh, lots of my colleagues have that tension as well, but I think that the university is really, uh, one thing that I find really exciting about the university is that um, I do find a lot of willingness to try, to try new things and to, to engage in different ways.
1: So do you connect kind of the work that you're doing at the Gandhi Foundation with the teaching, with the work that you're doing at the university?
2: So as you know, uh, many of the people who have been involved in the Gandhi Foundation have also been involved in narrative research. So there does definitely seem to be this overlap. And also in the arts-based research community uh, in which I'm pretty active as well, there's, there's also a really strong um, a lot of arts-based researchers are motivated by social justice issues as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely find that, that it's, it's all connected and that, you know, in my location now, like my, my, the master's cl- classes that I teach are research classes, but even there, just by talking about different kinds of knowledge, like arts-based knowledge or narrative knowledge, then I am still having important conversations about, um, you know who has power in what circumstances and how can we how can we better empathize you know how can we create research that helps people empathize across different situations in my research i'm working on a a project where i'm interviewing teachers about their experiences of teaching during the pandemic so that's an ongoing research project so i've done one round of interviews with teachers here in alberta in the spring and I'll be doing another round in the fall and then another one in the winter to sort of track, you know, what have their experiences of this pandemic be been and also how can we better support mm-hmm. uh, teachers than students uh, during this pandemic? Cause I think things happened so quickly that uh, there were some missed opportunities to consult with teachers about uh, what the best policy was for education and how to best support students. And unfortunately, um, not all students experience success in the rapid transition to online learning. And uh, a lot of teachers had challenging experiences as well. So yeah, in my own research, I'm, I'm looking at like, let's, let's, um, let's more deeply attend to the stories of teachers and listen to what they're experiencing and what we can learn from that and how, how their knowledge can shape policy more effectively.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then um, in the fall, the Gandhi Foundation... Uh, we'll also be hosting some events, uh, we usually host events, live events, <laughs> on uh, the United Nations International Day for Peace and Nonviolence, September 21st, and also on the um, anniversary of Muhammad Gandhi's birth on October 2nd. This year, I feel like those events are going to be a little bit more virtual or a little bit more uh, contemplative, but yeah, we're, we're looking at how can we adapt our events for the fall there too.
1: Well, speaking of the pandemic, um, what do you see as kind of obstacles and maybe perhaps opportunities in talking about peace and nonviolence in in this, you know, current environment?
2: I do think that the the current environment does present us an opportunity to really uh, recognize and think deeply about what's important to us. And also, it it interrupts a lot of things that we were doing habitually, uh, as as societies, mm-hmm. you know, local communities, or even larger societies, or even a global society. So it so it interrupts a lot of the habits that we have. So it really provides us an opportunity to think, you know, like what what kind of world would we like to create? Since in a lot of ways we have to rebuild something new, uh, do we want to just reproduce what was before, or um, is there something different we can do? And another another thing that's become really obvious during the pandemic is, you know, there's so many social inequalities that became just glaringly obvious, um, and so that provides us an opportunity to say, hey, we need to uh, bring our attention to these and and maybe think differently about them. So, uh, I mean, the pandemic has been really uh, challenging, and um, it's it's so. Yeah, it's so it's so sad, you know. So many people are are sick and have lost loved ones. Um, but I hope that we can come together, not just to fight the pandemic, but also to uh, uh, to create a world that's more socially just for everybody.
1: What do you see as kind of some of the m- most like the biggest challenges when you approach people talking you know talking about peace and nonviolence. like what are some of the what are some of the crazy stories that you've you've come across (laughs) that you know people kind of go like what are you talking about here
2: (laughs) i think it's more it's more um we need the ability to imagine a different world before we can work to create it so i think you know things like um, the Jai Jagat march, or, or other things that help people just to imagine, like you know, if we put our energy and effort towards this, then you know, like something tangible can result. I think that often people think peace and nonviolence are not are not very tangible, mm-hmm. or they're not attainable. Um, you know, there's a a bit of a conflation of of nonviolence and the absence of conflict, um, which people can't imagine there'll never be. An app, you know no conflict and that's true right there still will be conflict but it's just like how could we better manage conflict or work through conflict or even just communicate uh within a conflict so yeah i think just a lack of imagination we just need to imagine um you know and then work towards that that imagined world
1: yeah and i think sometimes it's also the lack of imagination connected with, well, what else is there? Or how could it be any diff How could it be any better? How do you know that it's going to be better since we've never really tried it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's kind of, you know, the devil, you know, is better than the devil you don't. So it was like the ensuing chaos might not be worth it. So I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. talking to people is like, well, you know, that's just too radical.
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: I mean, the Jai March, March is definitely very interesting. It's large scale. I mean, unfortunately, I had to stop. But how do you, like, as being part of the Guarantee Foundation in Edmonton, how do you help people connect with, you know, this event half a world away to what happens in Edmonton?
2: I think um, Edmonton has a really uh, strong Peace and nonviolence culture. There are a lot of organizations in Edmonton who do some really interesting things, um, like the Interfaith uh, Group. I can't remember if it's society or, but uh, they regular ho- ho- regularly host dialogues um, across different uh, faith groups to create understanding. Um, there's a, a walk for values in Edmonton uh, where people also march, and they <laughs> march not you know, not to pledge money or for a specific cause, but to pledge themselves to one of the universal values, which I find really great. And then uh, there's lots of support for the Gandhi Foundation as well. Um, You know, we regularly host those public awareness and education events and uh, lots of people come out. So I find that in Edmonton, there there is a strong community. And I think it's always, you know, Everything ripples out. There's, you know, the work that you can do uh, reflectively to uh, cultivate nonviolence within yourself, and then your local community, you know, and then the larger community, and that um, always has has ripples. Hmm. So I think that you just, you know, work locally. That's really true. That, you know, <laughs> act locally, think globally. Yeah.
1: That's true. Yeah. So like, um, what advice do you have for just educators working, you know, grinding away, um, planning their lessons in K to 12 or in higher ed? Like how, what, what advice do you have to, for them to include nonviolence and peace as part of their work?
2: Um, I think that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, something really big. There are uh, smaller things, you know, small practices that uh, we can adapt uh, just within our classroom, just to make our classrooms more (laughs) nonviolent, just to make our classrooms more inclusive, um, that, you know, and that that creates a better environment for for learning. And uh, when you create a positive environment for learning, students have a space in which they can be inspired. And then from there, students can do really amazing things. So I don't think it's necessarily you know, up to educators to uh, take the world on their shoulders and necessarily solve everything, but just to create an experience of nonviolence for their students um, and a, a place where they can be inspired and, and yeah. use their creative creativity to work on projects that are important to them.
1: Do you have any examples that you could share, like in terms of using, you know, stories or in terms of using artwork, um, you know, to, to include... Um, nonviolence and peace in, in your day-to-day work?
2: Well, I think that uh, what I'm really inspired by in my teaching right now is um, when I work with uh, students who are doing their master's research and, um, you know, I'm able to introduce them to a number of different kinds of methodologies and many students do um, sort of say, hey, you know, like that's, that's something I might be interested in and then they'll really you set up as a jumping off point to do something really creative. You know, I had uh, one student this past term who did a poetic inquiry project with her teachers on how how staying curious um, helps teachers, you know, stay keep their enthusiasm for the profession. Um, so that was really cool. So yeah, it's more just that. Um, allowing
1: students to, to find their own way and to find their own voice. So how has your own teaching practice changed with the pandemic?
2: Oh, it's really interesting because I was already for the most part teaching online. Okay. So, um, that part hasn't changed a lot for me, but what I find is that it's really important during a pandemic to be, to be generous. Uh, Because everybody, everybody right now is experiencing a great deal of stress and everybody right now is experiencing their own unique set of challenges. Mm -hmm. So, and learning in and of itself, like just being in a master's program or being in a teacher education program um, can be stressful as well because you're learning a lot of new things. Uh, You're being, you're being challenged in different ways. Like learning can be a very vulnerable part process and then on top of that uh, you have students who are stressed um, by the pandemic or other things happening in their lives. So I think that what's changed for me is just to to stay really focused on what's most important uh, for us to learn right now and how can I do that in a way that's that's flexible and you know that's that allows students the space they need to deal with everything else happening in their lives too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the big change in my teaching practice is just to be, you know, to be generous and encouraging and stay focused on what's most important.
1: do you think you know we best we can best connect gandhi's messages to kind of what we're seeing you know in terms of social movements that we're seeing like black lives matter and you know all the different movements that we're seeing what is the best way to to make the connections
2: i think that uh, gandhi has always been an inspiration for for protest you know and especially for for non-violent protest and there's so many you know, I always find that nonviolence is, is is such a force, like it has much more of an impact than we realize. So um, some of the, I've seen some really powerful protests lately, as you mentioned, uh, like silence, silence socially distanced protests, like, wow, so, so powerful, <laughs> just to see a group of people come together and just, just stand, you know, and stand for, for something. And so I think, you know, of of course, um, you know many people are are angry and frustrated and and very rightfully so. But I think that you know what Gandhi teaches us is that we can definitely change the world, and that you know the that by being committed, um, that we can bring about real change. One thing I've always found inspiring about uh, Gandhi's message is that he was so. Inclusive. you know, he wanted to facilitate those conversations, that deep understanding um, across divides. So you know across cultural divides or religious divides or political divides. and I think that we need a lot of that right now. I think it would be it would be great if we all spent more time listening and also focusing on what we have in common because I think at the end of the day, what we all want is to create a society where uh, we can thrive. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think, you know, getting down to just the core, the core of that, and taking time to listen to each other is more important than ever.
0: Thanks for listening. We want to take this opportunity to thank all the teachers and educators who have been providing a tremendous amount of support to students everywhere. As Jamin reminds us in this episode, Kindness and generosity go hand-in-hand hand with nonviolence and peace. Speaking Our Peace is produced by Annie Luck, Ashima Vishnoi, Priya Joshi, and Reva Joshi. We can be reached at speakingourpeace at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at our peace Podcast. Or check out our website, speakingourpeace.com. Our music is made by Sunbear. Until next time.